Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Back for another week on the fifth and last NRL podcast. And again, as has been the theme since we've kind of been in this isolation, I hope everybody out there is safe doing well and uh, hopefully everyone had a great Easter weekend even under these weird circumstances I think we've uh, we've experienced the last two weeks Brock first we had my birthday and then we've had a Easter where we couldn't all be together so we've relied on technology like a lot of people I'm sure using things like Zoom and Facebook chat and, and uh, video calls and FaceTime and all that yeah we've certainly been going over, into overdrive with all that sort of stuff haven't we so but that's the necessary evil at the moment. We'll just keep plugging away and things look positive. So hopefully everyone can just stick to what we're doing because it's working. Uh, and sooner rather than later, things will return back to normal, hopefully. Mm. Well, obviously, the last few weeks, we've just been taking information as it comes. Things have been changing every single day. So uh, I think even last week, we did the Project Apollo. 24 hours later, most of what we spoke about was almost not outdated or not irrelevant, but things that we'd talked about or asked questions about were solved a lot quicker than what we expected than that April 21st meeting date. Um, now they're obviously putting things into place. We've got a confirmed return date, as we know, the 28th of May, but that's obviously more a date to give some clarity to all the clubs so everyone knows what's going on. Clubs and players can prepare. I guess it's a way to look at it if best-case scenario if everything goes to plan, uh, but the, the league's obviously got some changes or scenarios there where they're willing to adapt and they're going to have things in place so they're able to hopefully get to this point in six, seven weeks' time and be able to resume the competition. But they're obviously under no illusions that, you know, things are just going to be perfect and something might change between now and then. Yeah, of course. Of course. So at the moment, like, again, I don't know why they have to name dates. And, you know, this sort of thing that we went over two weeks ago, but... Um, and, and, you know, if it, despite the fact that they've named a date, they haven't given us the format of the competition. And whether that's because they don't know what that's going to be or because they're not confident in the date, I'm not too sure. So we'll just have to wait and see uh, how things pan out. I think between now and the end of the month, we're going to learn a lot because there was talk from the New South Wales Premier that if things continue on the trend that they're on now, that we're going to, um, we're going to see some of these restrictions lifted next month to begin May. So if that's the case, I feel really confident about returning on that date. Uh, but I don't know, Easter weekend, there's you know, people that live around me were still having people over and there was a lot of talk from people who were at shopping centres that they were, they were packed, you know, they were no indifferent to what they would normally be on a normal or, or a regular Easter weekend when you could go and see people. Um, talk at Bunnings and some of our um, shopping centres with chockers as well. So hopefully we don't now see a, um, 
spike in the numbers and I guess back to not where we started, but, you know, to sort of take a step back. Hopefully the numbers just continue to improve and there's no doubt that we'll be back on, on May 28. Well, I think the big thing, the date, not so much trying to say that's when we're coming back. I think they're trying to give some idea to players and clubs so they can prepare as if that is, you know, what's coming up because talking about doing this mini pre-season or when they can start training or I guess just flat-out motivation for the players, being an ex-player or yourself knowing how players work, if they've got something to aim towards or look towards, they can start yes. to kind of structure how they want things to go or plan up until that point right now if this is the date we're working off, obviously, if everything goes well. So a few players I've spoke to have said, similar to what they had in the media, most of them have had messages from their club manager or their coaching staffs, etc., saying that they're all aiming for around May 3rd, May 4th, etc., what they're going to be doing if they do go back. Um, so speaking to some of them this week, a lot of people, their motivation's lifted a lot with the possibility that they now have some sort of idea of when a comp's coming back because you talked to a few of them prior to that. They were all training, but there didn't seem to be... I'm not saying a lack of effort, but there was just this weird funk around, like, we're training for what? Like, we could possibly not play again this season. Yeah. So I think, like we said before, the date is more in place based around what you said, and obviously talking to the politicians, talking to the state members, talking to health officials where they're looking and saying, okay... Just just ignore what the government is saying, because... Oh, it's been they mixed. say one thing and then the next day they're saying something different and it's all reliant on the numbers. So, as I said, let's just wait until we get to the start of May and that'll, that'll get us to about four weeks away and then you're really going to start to see, you know, the reality's going to hit, okay? At the moment it's easy to say, oh, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to do that in May. It's seven weeks away. Hmm. Once it gets a little bit closer, I really think we're either going to see everyone get behind it and, um, you know, it'll be made way and people support it or it'll just get knocked on the head. Yeah, and I think basically what you said, more of this is in place just to give some confirmation so clubs and players and that can start to plan moving forward and I think Wayne Pierce said as much that, you know, it was for that reason and they're working obviously up until this point now and we won't know until they sort through things with the Queensland government, the Victorian government, etc. New South Wales, the Warriors situation they're adjusters, they're going to get going. They've got as many as 10 work streams happening, so they're obviously working through all these different situations and, you know, how they're planning on uh, attacking things and they'll speaking about, obviously, none of this stuff is going to go ahead without the biosecurity experts and all these people being happy with the situation and satisfying uh, everything they need to go through. And they were talking about what's clarified as, I think, safe zones, transition zones and dirty zones. So, like we said before, realistically, the players are better off or they were better off when they were playing because you know it yourself, being in that bubble, and I've been in it. If you take out the crowds and the fans and tell the players that they're going to have no interaction with them, bar training and going home, you're a lot safer than what you are out in public working. Yeah. So, and people are going, oh, they tackle each other, this, that, and the other. Like, open up your head and just think with common sense for a minute. If you don't have the virus, the contact side of it doesn't matter, which doesn't is matter. Yeah, why you test and isolate and do what you need to do before you kick off. And if everyone's clear and good to go and they're isolated and following the rules... It doesn't fucking matter if they're spitting, coughing, doing whatever they're doing. If they're all clear and they're all only playing football, going home, training and living in that bubble, which rugby league to some extent, as I said before, basically is when you're in it, bar the fans and the crowds, which are obviously now not there, you're you're basically better off. Like the blokes that are on building sites are doing what me and you were talking about, where you're teaching, I'm at work in people's personal space, working in confined spaces. The football players that are out there now trying to earn a dollar because they have to are in more danger in the situation they are right now than what they are playing rugby league. 
So. No, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, I just think it's it's more. It was public pressure that stopped the game. I mean, realistically, when the game stopped, they, all the infection rates done since is decline. And racing are the only industry that sort of went nut. We're just going to push through it. I really would have liked to have seen what, what would have happened if we just pushed on for another week. Just one more week. I, I don't, I'm not even sure that we would have stopped. But that's, you know, efficient chip paper now. Uh, and, look, I probably... You know, I can agree with what Phil Gould sort of said. Like, once we've stopped, you know, it's going to be difficult to get started again. And, you know, the reason for that is all the public pressure and all the outside noise. But, you know, well, that's, that was my bugbear... But did we have my bugbear two weeks ago? Like, as a game, we're too reactionary, and we, we we listen too much to what people think who aren't supporters of the game. But what? in the end, we can provide an environment, a workplace environment that's safe. And if that's the case, then there's no reason why the competition can't start. Of course, crowds can't be there. Of course, you know we need to have minimal cameramen and referees and people around the players. And of course, the players need to be isolated. Uh, they're isolating now. No, still to this day, no one, no rugby league player has, has contracted the virus. Mm. So theoretically, if we would have kept going, we, we'd still be going because no one's got the virus, and that was a big fear. And I think you know, we're going to shut it down before someone gets it. Well, you we're... know, we haven't locked them down. We haven't. They're only. They're. They're probably seeing the general public more now than what they were when they were playing. And they, rug- they would have been overly cautious when they were playing to, because they understood that, you know, as soon as one of them got it, that the game would be shut down. And then now that they're, they're probably doing a little bit more in terms of going out, and you can see players on Instagram, they're going out and getting coffee or, you know, playing basketball they're down at the park or whatever. But sure, it's hard to do. I'm not saying that they're not. But my point is, is that they're probably a little bit more relaxed in what they're doing and not as worried about contracting the virus that's probably what they would have been if the competition was on. Hmm. And yet we still haven't seen anyone contract the virus. And I, you know, I, I keep saying that I'm not a medical expert. I, no. I'm, I'm not scared out of my wits and I'm not rushing down and buying shit paper and doing all the crazy things that some people are doing. But I certainly um, respect this um, virus and, you know, with two young children, I'm not taking one risk that's going to put their life in jeopardy at all so yeah um, and I think you know, I, I fully I fully understand you know the reason for um, caution definitely and oh. you won't you won't you won't see anyone more cautious than me like my wife hasn't left her house in six weeks neither of our, our children so and for the, the only reason is, is because of the virus I mean, you know yourself you haven't seen our kids in however long because that no, no one's been coming around the house no. Parents, close family, so we're respecting the rules, and um, it's just—it's just an unknown. No, one hundred percent agree, and I think it's probably one of the other things that kind of hit home with me, going through a lot of this stuff and all the outrage and every keyboard expert. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, this time, which is understandable, we're all a bit isolated. A lot of people might be struggling, you know, mentally, or might be a bit angry, or might be a bit sad, going through a range of emotions. But I think there's a lot of people that are also looking for a reason to be angry at this point in time because a lot of us obviously aren't living uh, life the normal way we should. So there seems to be a lot more keyboard warriors and a lot more people, uh, you know, lashing out or 
having issues with situations like this. But at the same time, I don't know about you, but I haven't really seen a peep raised about racing. I know racing is a completely different sport to no, rugby league. Been. That, okay. Um, old, uh, what's his name? Peter Fitzsimons. Oh, Peter Fitzsimons. Yeah, he ripped into it a few weeks ago. I've seen enough people uh, about some of the things. Just, um, uh. A lot of the time he just makes comment to, um, how do you say it, just elicit a response. I think the word here would be relevance, and I'm not anyone special, and I'm not claiming to be relevant because I'm not on TV, I'm not in the media, I don't do anything that he does, but... Every week, uh, if anyone watches any of the stuff he does on TV, if you don't think there's an agenda there against rugby league and other sports and anything besides rugby union, well, I'd be very surprised because any time he speaks, I generally start yelling at the TV or I want to punch holes through the TV. Um, I, I just, just don't listen to it. I, I think he's a clown. I really struggle to listen to it. And, yeah, I think he, he's got bigger worries at the moment than what's going on in a lot of other codes in sports and he's, he especially likes to lay the boot into rugby league, but... I think he should take a look in the mirror sometimes for some of the comments he makes. Absolutely, yeah. But, uh, I think the big one, like I said, that hit home with me, Wayne Pierce is one of the ones leading this. His own son plays in the NRL. And he's talking about some yeah, of these people that are outraged I'm and making... Make a comment. Yeah, and he's basically saying, like, I, I would not do anything to the players that I didn't think was safe enough for myself to do, and more in particular, the fact his son plays in the NRL. Like... Correct. The, the, yeah. the, yes, yes, there is an underlying thing here that we acknowledged last week, that part of this is financially driven. They do need to get the game going again. It is for the betterment of the game. It is for the betterment of the clubs. It is for the betterment of the players that are looking to get paid. But at the end of the day, anyone that's outraged that doesn't think that the clubs, the administration, everyone that's involved doesn't go through the right procedures to try and get this back going, plain and simple, if it's not safe to get back going or they don't get the approvals from the governments, whether it be state level, federal level, to get going, it won't. If they deem, though, that things are good to go, regardless of your outrage or your opinion, it's going to go ahead. So one way or the other, you can kick stones and carry on and complain and everyone can have their opinion because we're all allowed to have one because they're like assholes. We all have one. But at the end of the day, if they can tick all the boxes and jump through all the hoops and prove that they can go through everything they've said they would do, which means if they have to isolate or they have to get people into a bubble or if they can do it from home and t- testing three times a day and having these 24-hour tests and all these extra bits and pieces, if they can approve all that and get it done, well, I don't see why they're still outraged. Like, like I said before, I think there's a lot of people at the moment, understandably, that are angry or sad or depressed or going through some stuff. I think we all are, given the way we're having to live our lives at this this moment. But I don't see how anyone would make the argument on the flip side that if this can be done safely, how this is not a benefit for everybody just for our own like well-being or to have something to look forward to or something to watch yeah like that's the massive thing for me we're now however many weeks on between being isolated and going to work and having our coaching stop and all these bits and pieces where you're used to living this really really busy lifestyle and being preoccupied like I'd absolutely killed to have anything on the TV right now besides the racing and I'm, I'm not really a big racing fan but the last few weeks it's been borderline religion just to have something live and present and happening right now that I've watched the majority of the day's races. I'm not even betting on it. I just enjoy having it on because it's it's relevant, it's real, it's happening literally then and there. Yeah. Yeah, no, you won't, you won't hear an argument out of me. I, I, you know, I love racing anyway, so regardless of what else is going on in the world, um, so from that element, it's, it's just been good to have it uh, continue, but... Outside of that, it's, it's really um, slim pickings, isn't it? 
Oh, the sooner we can get the sooner we can get things on, the better, provided that it's going to be safe. Yep, and the AFL, they're starting to talk about, uh, I think it was, I've only looked a little bit, I'm not really focused on it, I don't really watch it, but I heard Eddie Maguire talking that they're looking at Tasmania, South Australia, WA, a couple of possible spots that have got less infections and less infection rate and a possibility of getting their comp going, and they were talking as early as June. So for everyone that's, again, outraged at the NRL or racing still been going, the AFL are in the same boat. Like They're looking at any possible way to get their season going again also. It's not saying it's going to happen, but the exact same point I just said previously, if you have the right things and plans in place and there's a possibility of getting it back without harming anyone or society, I don't see why we're all kicking up a stink. Like These little things could make the biggest difference at this point in time for all of us. So, no, I agree. Absolutely agree. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, like you said, I, I heard a lot of things over the weekend, similar to you, unfortunately, about people maybe flaunting the rules a little bit or getting a bit too excited. So hopefully we don't see a spike or too many hot spots pop up. But if things keep heading the direction they are, hopefully we can um, get the football and a bunch of things kicking back off sometime in the near future. But talking about getting some of those things working, it seems as though the conference system idea has been scrapped and I'm not complaining about that as I said before I wasn't a big fan of the idea I think that definitely would have been the biggest asterisk on any comp if there was any way it resumed and it looks more likely now that it would be a Sydney based competition we've obviously heard talk that the clubs were hoping to start doing the charter flights in and out Brisbane I think floated that but that's been shot down by their premier who's basically saying that she won't have a bar of anyone coming and going without the 14 day isolation and even said that they won't host an origin game which I guess Again, would depend on what happens between now and then, but uh, the possibility right now looks more likely that Queensland teams, unless something changes, will have to come down to Sydney and base themselves here. And I think Melbourne was starting to talk today that if they can't find a balance or they can't do something similar... Uh, we used to play trial games when I was at the Raiders against Melbourne at uh, Lavington, Albury, which is just over the border, that they might set up camp just on the edge of New South Wales and try to keep themselves there in a possibility of uh, keeping things going. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it, it'll, it'll work itself out. Again, we're talking... When the, when these teams are going and talking to the government, the government is responding to rules that are in place now. And if the trends continue and things continue to improve in seven weeks, those rules and restrictions will be uh, different. I'm not saying that they'll be relaxed, but they'll certainly there'll be differences um, and maybe the uh, the room for making exceptions for um, professional rugby league players uh, professional sportsmen because in the end it's a job they're entitled to work um, and particularly as the New South Wales uh, Police Commissioner said over the weekend if they can provide a safe workplace then any any business is entitled to be operating at the moment so and rugby league are no different they're a business they're an operation they rely on playing games and income and you know the wheels need to keep turning and uh, I think the sooner our economy can get going again the better and if rugby league can provide a a space and a workplace that's safe then there's no reason why they can't can't get going I I see the only barrier as potentially a premier um, or a or a politician trying to make a name for themselves and making it difficult for the competition to resume because effectively whatever restrictions are placed on the NRL they're going to impact the AFL as well if they want to get going Mm. and I thought similar they got Brisbane they got the Gold Coast Suns so in particular 
uh, Pelicek and a Pelicek, I heard you say last name, follow through with yeah. her she's, rules. Um, she's on the last legs anyway. They're saying that she's, she's not going to get re-elected at the end of the year, so uh, she's making some strange decisions. And, yeah, I'm not sure about locking down the border. like It's like a military-style um, border crossing with the tweet there, so... I just didn't understand. Strange. I still don't understand what the difference is between what happened before when the players were chartering a plane. If it's a disinfected, clean, private jet with minimal staff on it, bar the players and maybe one or two airport staff who have been tested, clearly, I don't understand why they can't keep that going weekly if Brisbane, the Titans, etc., need to come in and out. Or if okay, not. Me- again, I, I think come six weeks' time, I think at the moment she's layering a little bit. Uh, and it's easy to lay at the moment because you're not forced into making a decision. But you know, and I may be proven wrong. I, I just think it's easy at the moment for them to say, "No, nah. you know, yeah. you, you'll be um, a party to the rules." They're making exceptions for um, some mining companies up there at the moment. Of course, they are. Um, yeah. So I mean, you can, they can pick and choose when it's appropriate to give people exceptions. In the end, if they are going to stimulate the economy, they're going to. And this is my argument again two weeks ago that. The sooner it's on, the better. Like, we should be encouraging um, entertainment at this, at this point in time because we're all at home. Yeah, well, I what think... Way to, what, and I said this two weeks ago, what better way to keep people at home than to have rugby league on the TV? This is the thing that confused me, like you said, that we've got a letter saying that we're good to go and you've got support... Yeah, New South Wales is fine. New South, we're clear in New South Wales. But then you've got... You know, the New South Wales Health Minister or whatever his name was today, Hazard, saying he hasn't heard from the NRL in weeks. And then you've got, you know, other pro- PMs. Well, he, or, won't have a, he won't have a job in seven weeks' time. Yeah. He's, he's the one that's overseeing the Ruby Princess. Like, this is the part really, that's confusing me, though. Like, on if a, we're serious, like, he, he, he'll fall on his sword between now and then. If, if accountability is anything in politics in New South Wales, and this isn't a political podcast, but. No. Oh, my God, he's overseen an absolute shit fight there. But on a day-to-day basis, like you said, I'm no politician expert or politics gun who likes to follow the news, but one minute it's we're good to go, next minute someone says, I haven't spoken, I'm not going to do this, then someone else comes no, look, out. Like, we're, in New South Wales, we're good to go, mate. It's, we're, we're it's been very confusing, and I kind of laughed again this afternoon because I watched ScoMo on the news almost with a wry smirk, not endorsing rugby league, but saying that he encourages any business who's doing things to get themselves back in place and get going yeah. as soon as possible in a safe manner. And all I could think That's is... That's my point. I don't give a shit if it's a cafe owner. I yeah. don't care if it's toilet cleaners. I, if, they can, if they can get back to work safely and create a workplace which is safe for their employees, then get back to work. You know, I almost feel now, like now, we, we shouldn't really, like as a teacher, I don't think it's a time where we should be having school holidays. I think this is this should have been a time where they just say to the teachers, "No, you don't have school holidays. All these kids are working from home." Um, let's face it; they're probably done a lot of the, the, the children and a lot of the students have probably done Zippo, or a lot less than what they would have done if they were at school. Mm. But I don't see how te- you know, and the workload as a teacher working from home um, isn't isn't as difficult as what it is when you're face to face teaching. And the, and you know, there are days there where you, you're just teaching all day. It's face to face and you know, you're dealing with kids and, and all that sort of stuff. When it's learning from home, a lot of it's self-directed and uh, it's essentially preparing the material and then just delivering it and hoping that the, the kids sort of understand it. I don't understand why they just didn't say, look, just keep, let's just keep, whatever we're online, let's just keep working through. We're just going to start with, 
we're going to close the schools apart from for essential workers. I, I would happily go in now. I'm getting paid for the, the, these two weeks. I'd happily go in now and um, teach classes. It wouldn't, it wouldn't worry me. I just think the more people that sort of put their hand up in this in this current climate, uh, you know, now that we've sort of got control of it, let's start to yeah try and return to some normalcy. I'm with you, but at the same time, I kind of thought that Easter couldn't come at a better time because I thought if you're off in okay, the back yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, So maybe even if we just said, look, we're going to have Easter and we're going to have that week off and we're, maybe we just have one week. Oh. They're online learning. Their kids are online learning anyway. And all the parents are saying is how, how big of a nightmare it is. Well, let's be honest. When we went to school, it was different when our parents went and vice versa again. I'm sure if I sat down with a year seven or eight kid now and looked at maths or science or something they did compared to when I was there... I wouldn't remember that's half of point. it. I literally wouldn't. Yeah, and that's my point. My only point similar to you is I thought this was a perfect time that things maybe ended a week early. Then we had the two weeks and the Easter break where if everybody kind of bunkered down for the next four to six weeks that possibly they don't just suddenly go everybody, go wild, get back out in society, but we might be able to have a little bit of a loosening of some of the rules and you know maybe some businesses start opening again. Not everybody, but we still have to keep social distancing, avoid public transport where possible, gatherings, essential travel, like still keep a lot of that stuff in place, but maybe some businesses, depending on what they are, could reopen and keep following the restrictions so we get some normality. But this was a real good opportunity here to really stamp it out and try and flatten the curve and all the things they've been doing since we started talking about this a few weeks ago, putting people up in hotels for two weeks and all the carry-on about that. I don't see what anyone's complaining about. I I think that's the best possible scenario to take it into our hands to make sure that it doesn't get out or we don't have another Ruby Princess fucking episode because someone decides they don't want to follow the rules. Like, this this period now no, is, that, that is awesome. That wasn't anyone not following the rules. That was the fact that the oh, they just let them off. Let I know. everyone off that boat. Like, travellers, I mean, so, that were coming back for flights. My, my concern at the moment is that we've just stopped doing everything. We've stopped learning. We've stopped working. I think whatever we can do it remotely online or I just think we need to we should have just kept rolling on through not try and shut things down that's just my opinion because I'm the type of guy I can I can be at home and be productive and read and you know I've got columns to write and things that I can do from a coaching perspective but there's people who have no mental stimulation apart from their job and they've been laid off uh, I, yeah it's just it's difficult I think a lot of people out there are struggling at the moment and then you, you know you look on television. There's no, there's nothing on for those that are, you know, sports nuts. It's pretty grim and bare. So mm. just just something to engage. And I, I, I applaud New South Wales TAFE. They put on a, a stack of um, free courses for people to engage in, which I think is a fantastic idea. A, it's um, a, just a great idea. It's a, a good initiative. It's going to get people to learn. But B, we're upskilling people. So they're going to be more employable once this passes and people are trying to get jobs. Twofold, I think it's a a fantastic initiative. I I wish there was more of it. And that's probably my angle, just talking about schools. I think we could have just continued online learning through the holidays, in my opinion. Hmm. Well, fingers crossed, like I said, we don't have any hot spots or anything blow up after this weekend. But um, if things keep continuing along the same vein, fingers crossed we get back to what we're doing. But, yeah. The Brisbane situation, what happens there, possibly coming to Sydney, the Storm, possibly out of Lavington if they can't travel. The biggest one was obviously the Warriors. Again, we're not going to know until it gets closer, but their club and CEO was asking questions similar to what we're talking about. They want to know 
the structure of the competition they're coming back to, if they've got to come back here, where they're going to be based, is there the possibility to bring their families, etc. I think all these are fair questions for the sacrifices that they had to make initially and what they possibly might have to make moving forward. But again, we I, we don't really know at this point in time, and I'm sure the NRL can give them an idea, but I really don't think we're going to have a clearer picture until at least the start of May when the clubs were potentially supposed to start training again and go back into their mini pre-seasons before the kickoff. So it's another one of these things right now. Um, we just don't know about. But for the most part, it looks like the conference system will be scrapped. Those out-of-state teams, depending if anything doesn't change, might have to come to Sydney. Um, Sydney teams, I'm sure, will be very, very happy in those players if they get to stay home and follow the rules and come to and from. But I guess moving on to the next part, and one of the big things of last week, we obviously know that Channel 9 have been pretty unhappy and they just completely unleashed on the NRL. And it was pretty obvious that I think everybody was... <laughs> getting on board with the comments that were made by Channel 9 with every reporter and man and his dog on Twitter and on the news and everyone kind of driving the same agenda that the NRL, you know, had been mismanaged and pissed their money out the wall and heading in the wrong direction, which is no doubt a negotiating tool or a bargaining tool at this point in time because they announced to their shareholders and other people that if football wasn't to continue this season, they'd save $130 million, but they certainly didn't miss. the comment that, you know, the NRL's been financially mismanaged. Didn't we establish that two weeks prior? When all the numbers came out and the players were going to have to take a significant pay cut and uh, Valandi sort of threw the books open. So I I just feel as though Channel 9 are two weeks late to the party. Um, and then it, if they would have made that sort of statement then, then there would have been that period of, I guess, uh, connection and contact between the governing body and the uh, and the Channel Nine, which is the, obviously the free to air broadcaster. It just to me, it's it walks like an elephant, sounds like an elephant. It's an elephant. They just they're trying to position themselves from a few angles. From in my opinion, a from a money perspective the broadcast deal isn't going to be worth what it would have been if we had a normal season. However, I'd be very interested to see what the television numbers are going to be like. I think they'll be more uh, than what they were when we, we had crowds, just naturally. Um, twofold if you can't attend and also if you're at home isolating. There are two more incentives to watch rugby league. So I think we're going to get a lot of people watching rugby league that wouldn't normally or maybe aren't rusted on fans. So the television numbers I think are going to be great. The atmosphere is probably not going to be um, much good either, but there's some other things, like they've got the uh, the T20 World Cup as well, so I think they're positioning themselves to try and control when the NRL are going to have this season run. Um, and hopefully they're not going to want that clashing with the World Cup, so I think there's a whole heap of different angles and political angles that they're that are coming into this, uh, but I'm pretty uh, pretty confident that Peter Vlandy's all, you know, concede what he's got to concede, but he'll also dig his, his heels in if they try and push uh, the game around too much. Well, it was just, again, another one of these things that was 
very hard to understand because they all come out and did a drive-by. Every man and his dog and reporter you haven't heard of was suddenly an expert on the rugby league, the coverage, the spending, the mismanagement. Why, Channel 9 themselves have lost a lot of money in recent years, so they need to have a look in their own backyard and what they're doing. They're clearly trying to save money. Their argument is even with TV ratings slightly going up, it's an inferior product with no one in the crowds and the advertisers aren't spending money. So I think for them, obviously, a big part of this is definitely driving towards trying to get a better deal done. Uh, Volandi's had a meeting today with you, Marks, and said he was buoyed after the meeting with the positivity towards the meeting and that um, they hope to come to some sort of resolution, but their next meeting will involve Fox and their CEO, Pat Delaney. And obviously, Fox have been completely opposite. They've been pretty quiet and, you know, kept uh, pretty much to themselves during this process. They're pumping out a heap of content. They do Fox Live every single day. I know they've laid off some sports reporters and TV people, but, you know, again, there's no other sport going on. But um, well, they, naturally, naturally that was going to happen. Yeah, they seem to be pretty much look like they're right behind. And I think in their case, you know, they've lost a lot in the last few years and it's a changing landscape for them. So I don't think they could afford to probably drop the NRL. But the, the Channel 9 thing was just very interesting. And again, like, I don't really see how, from their perspective, they don't see if they've contributed somewhat themselves to the football coverage and things maybe declining in the last couple of years. Because let's face it, it's been inferior to Fox. They're very negative. Every time I watch, they just generally, it doesn't matter who's on there, seem to be complaining about the game, complaining about the referees, complaining about every single aspect of the game. And they've got some absolute crackers on their panels. But I think a lot of people have just grown frustrated with the Channel 9 production and their product in general. So I, I think they've got to take some responsibility as well as the NRL. I get that they're frustrated in this kind of time and it is a bargaining tour or a negotiation, but I thought uh, they, they need to have a little bit of a look in their own backyard also. Absolutely. But uh, hopefully they get that thrashed out, Valandis and that, and it was interesting. Again, they denied that they weren't kept in the loop or didn't know anything about it, which is another reason they were disappointed and who knows what to believe the way things are going for Todd Greenberg and they most of it was seemingly aimed at him. A lot of people thought, in particular Paul Kent, who's been calling for his resignation and going in hard for him the last few weeks, but Greenberg said that they'd all been involved, all broadcasters, whether it be Fox, Nine, Sky TV over, overseas, so it's just really hard to know what to believe. Yeah. No, spot on. So, oh, i tell you what, though. Tell me out of this. Old Gus... Gus and Buzz, they're, they're clearly not friends again anymore. No, interesting, isn't it? Uh, I saw that little snippet from, I think it was, what is it, Today Show? I saw that on Twitter this afternoon. Yeah, thought they buried oh. things a few years ago when he was at Penrith and they kind of had a chat, looked like maybe quelled over, but Gus in particular really seems like he's, uh, I don't want to say enjoying, but to me I think he, he's been a little bit, too negative or more negative than anybody for somebody who's supposed to be an advocate for rugby league but of all the people that you know detractors of Buzz Rothfield or don't like his like at bits and pieces at times half the time he's on there you don't know what he's talking about or where he's coming from but there was one fair point that he did make that for Gus to talk about people wasting money and bits and pieces and mismanaging Penrith did blow a lot of money and have excess wages and contracts they were paying for you know people that weren't there over a long period of time so I think there were some fair comments made both ways, but, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. I think the sooner we can get back on the field, at the moment, it's... it's it, you look... This is creating... Or it's bringing a lot of tension to the surface, this current situation. 
uh, and it's it's bringing out that exactly, just little functions and uh, you know people looking for comments and and looking for stories at the moment. And I guess because we've got none happening um, on the field, we're going to look off the field, don't we? So yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really not too sure. Lots of fingers being pointed, I I lots of blame. Lot, like I, I don't read a lot of um, rugby league journalism, and that's that's been dead honest. I don't get onto Fox Sports. I don't get onto the NRL website. Um, I'll occasionally read Phil Gould's articles. Uh, I, I like reading Paul Kent, uh, but again, I don't do it daily or, or weekly. Like It's sort of not something that I go, oh, I'm going to read that. If I am going to read, however, they, they'd be probably the two, along with Roy Masters, who I would read and respect. Um, yeah, I think Phil, Phil was in a difficult situation because he's employed by Channel 9. He was employed at the Panthers. He's coached. He's got a lot of... Um, in, you know, and now he now wants to manage. I guess he's got... He's had fingerprints over different sections of rugby league so um, whenever he makes a comment it can always be misconstrued as being biased towards either his current faction or a previous faction or a friend or whatever and I'll, look the comments did look aligned with the, the Channel 9 I guess direction but that's only natural because they're, they're paying his mortgage so uh, but not not that, not that I think that he uh he often holds back what he what he really thinks either. So uh, I, I have I have listened to some of the stuff that Phil Gould said recently, and sort of thought, and it's raised my eyebrows as well, similar to what you touched on before. It's been real negative. Like I get it, and we've all know that there's some stuff going on, but there's been no real positivity or any good in a lot of his comments. A lot of things have been real, just. Oh, negative or death riding the game or I fear for the game, I fear for the clubs. Like there, there hasn't really been any real positivity at all. <laughs> That's what's more concerning for me. And I'm like, well, again, you're supposed to this fantastic mind. You've been involved in so many levels of the game and, you know, yeah, you're, he's out on his little island at the moment, but, you know, you also make a quid from this game. You are you know, looking at being a player manager, working in TV, working for nine, working on papers, all these, but like you know, be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Like, more my kind of thing. Like you're saying at this point in time, there's a lot of things boiling to the surface, and he's been part of the game for a long time. There's probably a lot of things that have frustrated him, but again, all these people during this frustrated period of time, and going back to what I said before about the isolation, what it's doing, just seems to be bringing out a lot of things more to the surface and people firing shots and blaming one another um, rather than, you know, trying to work towards a common goal or some sort of positivity but him in particular during this time I thought there would have been you know maybe more ideas or a bit more positivity pitched or things to do Um, but it's seemed to be more in that downward direction and the only other thing is every time someone's mentioned well would you you get involved in the game or would you look at being the next CEO or you know you're you're a great mind in rugby league or someone like a Wayne Banner or whatnot and he just denies that as well so I, I don't know I really don't know but I think Bravo to nine if it was looking for a, a bit of a tactic there as far as negotiations, and there's no doubt that was part of it. And they've got some fair points, as with the NRL. I think the real question is, if the T20 World Cup is going ahead, 
I'm sure the NRL's argument will be we want to play as many games as possible to make as much money as possible. On the flip side, Channel 9 looked like they were trying to make a saving, and in particular, if this season didn't go ahead, they are going to make a huge saving. They're going to be looking for the best deal possible that doesn't interrupt the T20 World Cup if that even goes ahead and everything goes to plan, obviously, in the next six months. Um, but that's a good point as well. Like, that was, to say that that's even going to go ahead. Well, we're talking internationals coming from all over the place, like... I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I wasn't. I was only thinking about that today. Not so much Australia. We, we've got things well under control. But of all the countries that are coming, I'm sure they'll be tested or isolated or brought over if they have to and put in a bit of a bubble themselves. But you look at Europe. You look at the UK, the English team. You look at some of these other nations. We don't know where they're going to be in the next couple of months or how they deal with it. I'm kind of looking at that, thinking surely nine would want to take some sort of middle ground here, whether it isn't just the 13 games, whether they come up with something in between. We're clearly not going to play the full season. But the real point of contention here is the price for how many games and benefiting both sides. And no one's going to walk out of the room completely happy, but we have to find a medium. Look, I I think we may play the full season if the Kangaroos tour gets caught off. That was one that actually surprised me today. I think they had Mal Beningo on one of the Fox things that I saw a couple well, of days. At the moment, it's going ahead. But I, I was like, that's I insane. Can't see, I, I can't see us being able to travel. Internationally, surely you don't want to. If I'm a player, like that would be awesome. But if, if Europe or any of these places are still going through it and there's no vaccine and there's any danger, surely the last place I, you want I to be going. Think, I would think, mate, I, I would think that they're going to come to us. That's what I was going to say. Surely it would be the other way around again, if anything, if we've got it under control. Because we're in a completely different situation. Right now, the only way to, but yeah, and whether we take them in, would would we? Well, I'm not sure how that would work. Again, it'd have to be isolated, and again, all down the track where we are. Yeah, what's the situation? Not I'm not sure they can get in at the moment. I don't think yeah. we're taking any internationals at the moment. I, I don't know that for sure. You'd have to have again another exemption. I think it was only Australian passport holders that are now able to come in. The borders are shut. Yeah, we're probably looking too far down the track, but it's a very interesting conversation no, well, to have. Well, no, it's, well, yeah, we are, but it's relevant to how the competition will be structured. Well, that was my and, argument. And how Channel Nine push? Like, if the T20 World Cup gets brushed and cancelled. Channel 9 are then going to be looking for content during that period. They're going to go from not wanting rugby league on to wanting rugby league on. This is why I think... So, again, I think this is going to move and this is going to continue to change in the next six weeks as well. Yeah, there's, it's very interesting. The only thing I... I mean, how, how, late, how late do you leave it to, to can the World Cup? I mean... Well, again, we, we don't know. It's going to be taken by you. That's June, July, August, September. It's sort of three, four months away. And you can't exactly... you really close to wanting to make a decision. You can't agree on 13 games and then get closer and something changes or happens and then they go, oh, now we want more. And then, like you said, what, what's the quarantine period going to be like? Can Do everyone like, get here? One? Like, you don't know. We really don't know. Yeah, it's like, well, do we have a vaccine by then? Do, do you give vaccines? Do you prioritise vaccines for sports people? And vice versa for the, you internationally. know... The kangaroo tour, can you go to the UK? Is it safe? Like, it's a very different place to hear. We have a much bigger landmass. We're on an island. Yes, we're densely populated around the coasts, but if you've ever been to Europe, like I've been to the Europe, you've been to the US, like New York, there's a good reason New York's the hardest hit spot. It's so densely populated, it's absolutely insane. You're living on top of one another. Europe got, is millions. Australia's, Australia's population on Manhattan Island. Yeah, Europe is millions and millions of people squashed into little countries that are barely the size of parts of our states. Like they're so densely populated, these main cities, it's so much easier for this stuff to spread. Like, we've got Sydney, which is the hub for it right now, but because of the controls we've put in and the fact that we have isolated early enough, we've been able to control it. But we are nowhere near 
as densely populated countrywide as say a UK or a US, like all these other kind of areas. But in particular, Europe and the UK, like they're all squashed into a lot smaller land mass and space than what we are for the populations they've got, which oh, yeah, I'd think more like you're saying, if, if that's even on the radar, it'd be more likely, I think, that they'd head our way unless there were some huge changes between now and the end of the year. But the one that bothered me, they were talking about the competition structure, and I think Paul Kent was the last person to speak that Nick Politis in particular has been very vocal talking behind closed doors this week is that we shouldn't sell ourselves short on the 13 games. We should be looking to play as many as possible, obviously to bring more money in for the game, which is all well and good. But I think the only way to get a real fair competition is to play that structure where we do finish off playing everybody once, having the final system. But they were talking about Origin being back in the middle of the year while we're going, and I just don't agree with it because, again, we don't know what's going to happen. Why would you risk stopping the season or forcing that in there when potentially I think that's our biggest selling point bar the grand final, that if you left it for the back end of the year, we don't know what's going to happen. There's more than likely, there's still going to be no crowds and there's no possible way, you know, to have people attend or whatnot. But to me, I'd be just getting the season done, getting the finals done, and I'd be leaving the biggest and best product we have until the back end of the season because I just don't think the Kangaroo Tour is going to be a possibility. Yeah, I tend to lean with you. I, I lean in playing Origin at the end of the year. Well, I don't understand um, why. You'd want to get going again and then I, stop I really, again. Like, well, I, I, I think they're just going to try and maintain the integrity in how we've always done it. No, I, 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 I don't agree with you. I, I'm but, not agreeing with you for the sake of it. I just think no, but I don't see the integrity. Where, you know, what's the argument? What's the what, what's someone going to argue? You know, someone listening to this, what are they going to argue? They might say it's going to overshadow the, uh, the grand final. Who cares? Well, it's not no, a normal year. I don't think it will. I, th- I think that Origin is totally separate to the grand final. I think it is. How good would it be to have our four biggest games played together? Yes, the back end of the season. Have grand final, pick, you know, let them celebrate for a week, then let them prepare for a week, and then have, uh, you know, I, I think this, the, the right system would be to play, uh, you know, if you played Thursday, Saturday, Monday, or Wednesday, Friday, Sunday with your Origins, give them... 10-day turnarounds or 9-day turnarounds and hammer out your series that way. And then you can, you know, say our grand final's mid-October, then you're finishing the season in mid to late November, which is when, realistically, we would have been finishing the Kangaroo Tour anyway. Yeah. Players can go away, have their break. Hopefully all this pandemic has then eased and we've got some normalcy back in our lives and we can we can commence next year's competition normally, but... And I think, like I, I'll go back to what I said at the start. Like as soon as we stopped, the integrity of this competition yes. wasn't lost, but it was always it was never going to be the same. No, but my argument to your point, I looked at this. Usually, we, we keep saying that the season's not fair, or this isn't fair. The normal season's not fair, like we talked about. They predict, you know, that if you played finals, you'll play the teams that were in the eight more. But we don't know a year out if those teams are going to be a top eight team again or not. You don't play everybody once. And then you've got Origin in the middle of the year, which like when we did our season previews, you have one or two people message you going, well, you know, why did I put Penrith in? Tell me who was going to play Origin for Penrith. Yeah. I thought Nathan Cleary might be one of the only ones. So I took that into account, whether you think they've got a good enough squad or not, because in a normal season, whether you like it or not, that six, to, that six to seven week period, if Penrith go through untouched, uninjured, and they've already won two games, tell me how they're going to go playing the Roosters, Melbourne, or any of those teams during the middle of the year full strength. Why do I never pick the Warriors every year for the spoon? And I said it the other year. They should never win the spoon 
because they're basically unaffected. They get half their games at home. On the flip side, yes, they have to travel here, but they should never be in a position with the players they've got in the internationals and basically no origin involvement to miss the spoon. So if you want to tell me the fairest comp you could possibly have, this is it. Whether we've played two games, if we recommence, you play everybody once, you get it done, you do the finals, and then you have origin at the end. And for the first time ever... No one's had to double up playing, you know, a top eight team if you're the Titans like the Storm or the Roosters and Broncos or someone twice. No one's been affected by origin. You get through. If you don't win your games, you don't make the finals and you don't win. I don't see how anyone can complain. Like, And then the argument that, you know, say the Roosters want their points taken off or, you know, Craig Bellamy wasn't happy, etc. all those kind of people. Like, at the end of the day, I said it the other way, tell Newcastle, who just won two games well, and got some four and against who have now lost their starting hooker and their starting back row, that they're going back to zero points. I, I don't think in any year, let alone in these circumstances, you could have a fairer comp than finishing out the 13 rounds finals and then having origin at the end. Yeah. No, I agree. That's how I would yeah. attack it. Because, the, again, the two most unfair things usually during the year is origin and the effect it has, and then the draw as we get to the end, we always look at and go, well, this team got screwed or they had to play all these teams twice. And no one's ever happy. This is the first time in a long time you can honestly sit there and go, you've played everyone once, you played finals, and then we get a winner. That's it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't. I was a bit confused by some of the arguments during that during the week. But, yeah. Probably one last thing I was just going to say, like the AFL on their side of things and the Channel 9 thing, and I don't want to get back into it, but I don't pay as much attention to it. And if anyone out there pays attention to both sides or not, I just don't think I've ever seen on the flip side, Channel 7, you know, kind of lay into the AFL the way I suppose that Channel 9 has this week or in the last couple of years, some of the negativity around their game. Like, I kind of feel like they're much more supportive of one another. Um, So I'd like to think out of this circumstance again with everything that's happened and the talks have happened today with Valandis and the game moving forward and whoever our CEO and how all the clubs pan out moving on from this point in time that whether it's nine whether it's not nine I think Fox would definitely be around however we move forward I'd just like there to be hopefully a lot more positivity and better relationships and less shit stories and slamming or slandering of the game in general moving forward hopefully after all this is done I agree so I think we've covered probably most things we can Brock in regards to what's going on and again we can talk hypotheticals all day but realistically we've got those rough dates the main one's 28th and them going back to training on the 4th but I don't think until the start of May and talks with government officials and what will happen with the Queensland Melbourne and New Zealand situation that we're really going to have an idea until we're at least a couple more weeks out but we've got some idea Um, again hopefully they can all resume as normal probably bar the Warriors and especially things on the Queensland side hopefully that changes but if not um, I'm pretty sure with the way things are going right now it seems like everyone's pretty keen to get on board and have to isolate in New South Wales if they have to and um, again we know why it's hard for everybody the circumstances and everyone wants to get paid and um, yeah it's really hit everybody but fingers crossed that things keep heading in a positive manner and they might be able to get some exemptions in a couple of weeks time to possibly go back to doing what we started doing with some charter flights and isolating and just doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. But to finish off, uh, we said this last week, we were going to pick our own all-time 1-17 to for the clubs that we support. So in your case, Brock, the Gold Coast Titans, in my case, the Melbourne Storm, it wasn't until I sat down and reflected on this 
I, I like the all-time team I was excited about, and I had a great time sparking my memory and look at some players, and it, it really brought back some good memories. But this was hard. Like this, this is personal. When you love a club or a club supplied uh, so much joy or memories, or you know the week-to-week results and how they go really has an effect on your behaviour and your mood. But in particular, doing the back line for Melbourne, I didn't struggle. I really didn't struggle. The spine, I didn't struggle. But doing the forwards, I really struggled. I really struggled. Yeah. Um, and there'll be some fans or Melbourne fans around that listen. You, we talk about getting attacked. I'm going to get attacked this week for sure. Someone's going to be very angry with some of the choices I make. But that's right. You can. I'll give you the. I'll give you the. Uh, I'll give you the helmet to wear. I had a look on their website because they had a team of the decade. I, I, I didn't get. I didn't get hammered this week. So I think because the people that hammered me for saying that we'd be back before July one, they went awfully quiet. So, well, again, no, how no, we don't know. We, we don't even know what's going to happen, do we? A we lot of people. Know. A lot of people. We don't know. Yeah. I, my opinion was, I just think it's ridiculous that a we're setting dates, and the date that we did set, which was July one, I, I thought was too far away. Yeah. I've been proven correct on that, but that doesn't mean that we're going to be back this year. Yeah. Like, <laughs> didn't. No, like at the moment, I'd, I'd almost bet. You know, you get really short odds that uh, we're going to get underway because of the numbers are looking so positive. But well, I think we're a, <clears throat> we're a very, very um, resilient country, but we can also... Um, how do I say this? I, I think we can go off a little bit early as well. That's probably part of our culture. So hopefully we don't... Um, we don't relax and just think we've got this beat. Let's just beat no. the fucker into the ground. Well, again, let's um, and, just hope. hammer it for the next two or three weeks and totally eliminate it, eradicate it. Mm. That's what I'd like to see us do. Not sort of relax now and then have it spike back up again and have it be a continual problem. Yeah. And I think the and, other you know, thing is... That's where my head's at. I want to be able to let my kids walk out the door and know that they're not going to come home crook and with something that there's no cure for. Like That's, that's where my head perspective is. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I think, again, like you said, instead of a lot of people finding negatives or going after one another like has happened within rugby league or people with their neighbours or like you see on the news, the lady that dobbed in someone who put photos up from a holiday that happened a bloody year ago and that she got sent a fine. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> We're going insane. Like, I get it. We're locked up and it's it's not natural for us, but just a little more positivity or, or a little more good in these times would go a long way. And actually... Random point before we get into this, there was a guy on the project tonight who was a Holocaust survivor, and they had him. I think I think it was his hundredth or his hundred first birthday, and he was just talking about, you know, he could go through his life with hate and anger and all these kind of things, but he just chose to be happy and polite and the best things in life, and more in particular, and situation again more so than anything now. But he's like, what's the best part of life, or what got you to live so long? He's like friendships. Like it's all it's all the free stuff. It's all the you know all the good stuff in life like that. And I was just kind of like, yeah. very relevant no, right now. Mate, if people are struggling mentally, go and read a book called Mindset. Google it, download it, ebook it, or uh, audio book it. Whatever you want to do, Mindset, and uh, it'll change change your perspective on the way you think and the way you act. Good times. All right, let's uh, get into these. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All-time teams, did, did you struggle? Not really. Probably a bit easier, not trying to make a joke. I'm, I'm not making a joke. I'm literally saying it was probably a bit easier for you, I'm assuming, in particular in certain positions. Yeah, very easy. Uh, Particularly that really, really good period, um, you know, when you had the Frankie, Prince, etc. I guess there are a lot of names you're going to hear. On the flip side for me, Melbourne was obviously consistent to start with, had a bit of a period there where they always kind of crept into the eight but didn't really take off and ascend until Craig Bellamy got to the club and we obviously found the big three or the big four as it started off at. And then even after all the dramas that happened with the salary cap, he's just continued to take it forward. But Brock, fullback for the all-time Titans team, your all-time... Actually, criteria, that was the thing I was getting to before. The Storm named a team of the decade and then a team of 20 years, and I looked at them, and I didn't necessarily agree it was the best players, but they had a criteria on the website that was judged by, uh, you know, Rebo and Brentnell, who used to be there, Roy Masters from the paper, Panisi, Donaghy, Bellamy, they're all part of it. But they said, on and off the field, legacy left, success and premierships, accomplishments in the jersey, and just what they'd done for the Storm. I'm looking at this, again, so people don't get offended and go, you left out this guy, or this guy's a store. I'm just picking what I think would be the best 1-17 to 17 if I had to play a game right now that I'd put on the field. So I'd say there's probably a few more modern players in here than what people may agree with or want to argue with me about some of the stalwarts of our club. Because let me tell you, there's plenty of them. There's some absolute crackers I've left out. But I just think on the way the game's played, in particular the last decade... There's probably some more dynamic footballs or more skilled guys that are playing now than possibly the early 2000s. Yeah, look, I didn't, I didn't do a lot of research because I'm pretty pretty well across the players who have played and who I think is the best in each position. So um, I'm not even sure if the Titans have named uh, what is a decade. Yeah, they probably have named a team of the decade. I've seen both um, for Melbourne just over the time, that's all. Okay. Yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't looked at them, so... This is my team. Yeah. My team. Your fullback for the all-time Titans team. Uh, Preston, Preston Campbell. We haven't had one. Well, we haven't really had anyone stable since, really. we The great saviour was going to be Jared Hayne, and that went to the shitter. We had William Zillman there for a little while. Uh, but Preston Campbell, unbelievable player. Uh, and he did probably more off the field for the club than what he did um, on the field. How old a bloke come up with the concept for the Indigenous All-Stars game was great when he was at the Panthers, great at the Sharks, really underrated player and tough bastard. Well, didn't we at the Shark? He, won he did. M. He won a Dalian medal. Unbelievable. Gun. So underrated. And again... In He's le- tiny. Oh, mate, that's what I was about to say. I met him the same night I met Greg Inglis when I said back in the day on a pair of crutches before he played first grade. I think it was 05. And when Preston Campbell come out compared to all the other guys, like... I was probably 75, 80 kilo, 15-year-old. I could have dead set picked up and manhandled Preston Campbell. Until I saw him that night, I was like, holy shit. Like, yeah. Massive respect for you. I was a 15-year-old and I could have murdered him. But he just played so far above his weight. What a player. Yeah, well, there's a lot of Titans in here 
that are pretty small in stature. But yeah. Well, I don't think it'll come as any surprise. My all-time fullback for the Melbourne Storm, Billy Slater, and I think the thing that sums it up more than anything is if you look at the players that have played for the Melbourne Storm, the only person who really played fullback prior to Billy holding that position was Robbie Ross, who was a very good fullback before him. There was a little period there where Billy got suspended, I think, the grand final year, and they had a couple of guys play in that spot before he came back and became what he became, but... Yeah, 300-plus games, two years off of that shoulder, came back, you know, got back into the Australian, the Queensland sides, Golden Boots, Dalliams, Clive Churchill medals. We picked him as our, both of our best all-time fullback. I love Cameron Smith, Cooper Cronk, him. People argue, and you ask me all the time, who's my favourite? It's very hard to pick between him and Cameron Smith. I'd probably lean towards Cameron Smith as my favourite player, but the player that's given me the most joy to watch all the time would be Billy Slater. Yeah. So he's my fullback. Uh, your wingers, Brock, for the Titans team. Kevin Gordon and David Mead. Kevin Deep Gordon, as he's called now. He's a bit, 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 uh, oh, bit different, mate. isn't he? <laughs> I'm not sure whether you saw the interview he did with Matty Johns and Fletcher on Fox League Live on the weekend. No, I've just seen a few of the strange mate. videos. Oh, my lord. The out guys, there? Oh, he's out there. Ooh, he was I'm... burning incense. I'm not sure it was incense that he was burning. Yeah. He, um, Bit of the hoochie coochie, you reckon? Yeah, he's um, he's right out there. But man, he could play. He's uh, if I had to pick one winger, it'd be Kev Gordon. I think he's he's been the best winger we've we've had at the Titans. And look, David Mead just, I think he just got better every year he played. Uh, debuted at the Titans, and I was pretty pissed when they they let him go. Uh, he went went to the Catalans, I think. Um, so he's overplaying in the UK. I, I, I was disappointed to, to see him leave, and I played good footy for a long period of time for the Titans. Yep, fair enough. Mine. Kevin Gordon, when I started talking about little, Kevin Gordon was tiny as well. He ran, I tell you, early doors, his yardage for his size was very good. They're both oh, quick, yeah. and David Mead especially. He was he was lightning. Uh, my you, well, it's a little bit of uh, what could have been as well because we were we signed Brian Carney. Yeah. Uh, you originally. signed Steve Turner. You had a couple back out, didn't you? Yeah, he backflipped. Steve Turner was supposed to come up from the Storm and backflipped. Brian Carney, I think he was supposed to come up from Newcastle and backflipped. I thought he signed with you guys before he went to Newcastle. Might have, might have been. I can't remember. That was a long long time ago. Yeah, I'm gonna, I've got the computer up now. Have, yeah. a, look. have a look. While, you, while you're going through yours. My wingers, and again, we've had some absolute crackers, but I went with our two modern wingers right now in Josh Adokar and Suliasi Vunavalu. They're both try-scoring phenoms. I think, again, when you talk modern day versus old day, there might be some old Melbourne heads that disagree and argue with me and say, you're kidding yourself. But, you know, Suli at one point there was a try per game. I know his last year and a bit probably hasn't been as good, but I think especially that was affected once Cronk left and that right side wasn't get as much good football. But high ball... Back five work, work under the high ball. Yeah, he's got a bit of crazy in him, but 96 games, 74 tries. He's an absolute freak. And the Fox, 77 games, 57 tries. He's played, you know, in the grand final. He's now playing for New South Wales. He's played for Australia. Uh, disappointed he's leaving, so it hurts me for that reason to put him in. But, like, those two, you know, there was Marcus Bai, who I used to absolutely love. Matty Guyer is probably the hardest one to leave out of many positions that he played for Melbourne and being one of the originals. But, again, my criteria is I'm pick, if I was picking a team for me to Melbourne that had to win a game to, like, 
you know, win a one-off game or to win a competition from all the Melbourne players all the time, I find it hard to go past those two. But, yeah, Matty Guy was good. Zappa Turner for a while was good. We had Marika for a short period. Corobiti, who I loved. Duffy showed some good signs before he got injured. Sisawanga. But Marcus Bai and Matty Guy were probably the two uh, that really stood out that I left out. And the other one I almost forgot about was Anthony Quinn for a couple of years there was a guy that I just used to think was a bit of a random first grader, but he had a real good period there at Melbourne under Craig Bellamy as well. So, Addo Carr and Suley for me, the two modern wingers got the spots. Centers Brian Brock. Carney, Brian Carney played at Newcastle, won Dalian wing of the year, and then he went up to the Gold Coast, trained for one session, and quit. Wow. Super. He went back to play rugby union after that from memory. He said, I've made this decision with a heavy heart. It's been difficult for me, but I dearly want to get home to my family and I couldn't act like a fraud by taking the club's money when I knew my heart wouldn't see the year out. Well, at least he used some words and didn't find some shit excuse or something else. He wants to finish his Masters and reunite with his family. I think he played Irish rugby, club rugby after that. I don't know if he played internationally, but I'm pretty sure he went back and played rugby union. Same season as, yeah, it says here, Steve Turner backflipped over a contract dispute. So we were, we were due to have Brian Carney and Steve Turner on the wings. Would have been good wingers to have, but not to be. Well, like I said. Uh, my my centres are Matty Rogers and I'll put Brian Kelly in. I think Brian Kelly's been probably the best centre since Matt Rogers for the Titans. He, every time he gets the ball, he's just... He, he runs hard, he's uh, elusive, he breaks tackles. Um, I, I looked at, you know, a, a few, they, you know, they, they had Dale Copley played a lot of games, but I like Brian Kelly. He, he's a Titans junior as well. He debuted at the Titans. Um, so I've got Matty, Matty Rogers, one of the great all-time Titans, probably my second favourite Titan all-time. Uh, and one of my favourite players of all time, Matt Rogers, he's just uh, an absolute legend. And he's doing better better things off the field now. Like his, um, his son uh, suffers from a disability and you follow him on Instagram. If you don't follow him on Instagram, you want some perspective on life. Um, Matty Rogers on Instagram, superstar. Did Brian Kelly... I thought Brian Kelly debuted at Manly and he was your junior, then he came back. No, I'm pretty sure he debuted. Well, he's an NRL debut, so... I'm pretty sure he was there and they didn't give him a run because he, he was in a good team with that other winger that I liked who's now back there, uh, Greg Lelessiwau, who went to Parramatta and then came back. I think Kelly was in a similar boat. He didn't get a run, so he went to Manly, then I think he went back. Yeah, there you go. Kelly made his NRL debut for the Seagulls against the Eels. Yeah, I'm not trying to poke holes, but I just remember at the time thinking, "Wow, no, I can't." No, it's not, well, you're not poking holes because he was a Titans junior. Yeah, I just so, couldn't believe they let him. They let him go, but yeah. he went. He went back not long after. Obviously, was filthy when we let him go because he was good. They had a they had a really good team for a couple of years there, and they had a couple of guys, but him especially when he went, I thought that's going to be good for Manly, and turned out yeah. to be the case for a year. I think the only thing we've we've talked about this a few times, he's just got to work on his defense. There's nothing wrong yep. with his attack, but just at times he comes up with a poor read. But again. I guess when you're playing in a side where the defence in particular from their halves and their edge back rows is terrible as a centre, 
you're almost just shot from the get-go if your inside defenders can't make good decisions. So um, it's been a hard school for him, but he's definitely a talented player. There's no doubt about it. I was trying to think of someone else. It really annoyed me that I was trying to say. <laughs> Some guys that flashback from the Titans. Who was the guy who said he grabbed me on the wheels that played? And he played for Melbourne too. Josh, Josh, Graham. Josh Graham. He played at Melbourne, then he come to you, that centre. He grabbed me on the so I've wheels. Got the, um, I've got the team, I've got the Titans team of the decade up, and they named Josh Hoffman as their centre. I'd, I'd happily have Brian Kelly over Josh. What about Brett Delaney? No. Uh, <laughs> no. Preston Campbell, Kev Gordon, Matt Rogers, so that's all the same. David Mead is the other winger, but I've got Brian Kelly, not Josh Hoffman. So, who have you got? What about Essie Tonga? <laughs> Essie Tonga. Yeah. I could go through. I could go through a crazies team, a Titans crazies team. Remember Rapana? You had Rapana debut and leave. Yeah, we had um, we had Boom Boom Peterson. We've had a, we've had a few. I'm trying to remember some of the random front rowers. You guys had some real Matty White, James Stosic. That's the one I remember. Remember um, that guy? Matt, Matty White was a good player. You remember Stosic? Yeah, James Stosic. He was thick as that bloke. Dead set. You want to talk about people that go to the gym and lift? Fucking hell, he lifted. Michael Henderson. Oh, how many remotes I broke oh. Remember Gav Cooper's initial rat tail? That blonde yeah. tied up thing? Oh, dear yeah. Lord. Gavi Cooper. Oh, that was filth. Your favourite, Mark Minicello? Uh. <laughs> you got Brad Myers. Michael Hodgson's one I remember too, early doors. Yeah. Hodgson. Mark Minicello's the most, most capped Gold Coast Titan. I'm trying to think of some others that were there at different times. It's fair to say he's not going to make my team. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a few that made both of us angry. You more so than me. They made me angry just because they were there stealing a living. I think no one stole a living more at the Titans than Greg Bird, Nate Miles, and Ash Harrison. They all played awesome at Origin time for Queensland and New South Wales. Uh, Bird, Bird's, uh, Bird's in my team. I'll, I'll, I'll break that one too. Bird's in my team. Those other two. Yeah, um, Nate Miles, though, when he was there. Nate Miles, yeah. No, Bird, Bird played it off for the Titans. He had his moments. No, he, he was all right. Nate Miles mailed it in. Who was the other one you said? Uh, Ash Harrison. He used to kill no, it for Harrison Queensland. Was good. He used to kill it for Queensland. No, Harrison was good, man. Bird and Harrison were good. Nate Miles, oh my lord. Who else did you have played? I'm trying to think of some other guys. This, this like Jared Wallace now. Like, I, I want a contract extension. I want a pay rise. Like, mate, have a go at the way you play. I'm an Origin player. Well, you were until you got dropped. Yeah, you had one of my old favourites, Tagger, <laughs> for a couple yeah, of years. Tagger Tissi. Yeah. Lay, laying some people out. Stevie Michaels. <laughs> oh, dear. There's another one for your back line, mate. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow There's a couple Jamal I forgot You had Jamal Idris for a while We had Jamal Idris yeah Phil, Filthy Phil Graham Yeah Good time uh, Centres I went for GI No surprise there And then the other one People would Most likely I guess Lean towards Will Chambers I went Matt King Matt King's Four or five year period There for Melbourne Playing at centre he was absolutely outstanding. Uh, you want to talk about crowding two-on-ones or dragging players over or getting wingers to bite in. His time there where he suddenly went from a garbage man to a reserve grader to playing in that team and under Craig Bellamy to turning into a New South Wales and Australian automatic selection for a period there. In in that short space of time compared to what Will gave, Will was awesome for Melbourne. But on best form, I'll, I'll take Matt King. And again, some Melbourne fans maybe. 
you know, a bit pissed on that one, but on best form, I, I, I think Matt King in his short space of time was better for Melbourne than Will Chambers. They'll get over, they'll get over it. They can go and watch a premiership victory lap. Mate. Or, you know, how many is it? Us Titans fans, we've got one finals win. So There were some good centres, though. Like I said, Will Chambers, you know, out of all the centres, played a lot more games, 215, 82 tries, and I think he had, what did I write down here, 13 caps for Queensland, seven for Australia. That's over a lot longer period of time than Matty King, though. Matty King at Melbourne was 60 tries in 91 games, and he played 10-10 and 10 for New South Wales and for Australia, and he was very good in, in the rep arena too at that point in time, for, especially in New South Wales. Matty King was awesome for us for a few years there. Yeah. Uh, we had Stephen Bell, who was underrated. Obviously, a bit, bit controversial now. Old Easy Falau wasn't there for that long, played centre and wing, but... Uh, you know, Dane Nielsen, they turned oh, we're him... Not, we're not talking about, we're not talking about off the field, we're talking about on the field. Yeah, he was awesome. Dane Nielsen uh, was a guy, again, I wasn't a big fan of, but they turned him into another rep player, and O'Neill there played some wing and some centre, but Will Chambers and Bell were probably the two biggest others in contention, but Matt King, I thought, in that four- or five-year period, he was awesome. So uh, my back line, Billy Slater, Addo Carr and Suley, and the two centres, G.I. and Matt King, I tell you what, there's going to be some tries set up or some tries scored. It is. What about your half, Brock? What about your first half? Your five eight for the Titans team. Oh, no, I'm just going to give you the pair. I've got um, okay. Caesar, and, Caesar and Prince. Yep, fair enough. And I can understand why. I was trying to think about who your other half was once you said Matt Rat was a centre, but Caesar in the few years he was there when you guys were kind of borderline eight was awesome. That was his best football. His kicking game, his running game was at its best. He was he was the agency that I played against in the twenties in junior at football at the Bulldogs. Never, who, never have left. Oh, I wish he never left the Bulldogs, I and mean, that's not a knock on you guys. He played great for you, but when I, that Dogs team, they had him, Fanukin, Jackson, Cassiano, they had this loaded team. But Caesar, Caesar was a gun in that team, and I used to look at him back then and just think, mate, like out of all the halves we're playing, we had some good halves in our age group. In that team, everything he turned touched the gold. Like he, his running game was tenfold what it was now. Defensively, he used to be a lot better than what he was. Like, I don't know if, again, confidence got knocked around or moving around or what the deal was, but I, the, the agencies are, I remember coming through, and then the few years there at the Titans, um, he was a very good footballer. Yeah. And Scott Prince, I guess, for you, that speaks for itself, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. Best Titan ever. Um, tiny. Got, got him at the right time, straight after super, the Tigers. Super talented, yeah. He's just. Unbelievable player. Some of the things he, he did, he he dragged us into the finals. He, he got us to a preliminary final. You know, him, Matt Rogers, Preston Campbell, uh, Luke Bailey, Nathan Friend, that sort of, Ash Harrison, that, that generation were just tough, um, blue-collar, disciplined, um, fast, direct. They, we just played really, really good footy. Um, and Prince was the... You know, the, the icing on the cake around that. You know, I'm talking about days where Titans, Broncos, Derbies were just absolute cracker games. Every time we, we play the Broncos, they'd almost go to golden point. And, you know, Prince would be on par with Lockyer. He, 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 in his prime, he went head-to-head and, you know, more often than not, uh, outpointed Lockyer in some of those Derbies. He, uh, obviously an ex-Bronco, but... Uh, it, yeah, the level that Scott Prince was playing at, particularly in that 2010 season, was um, 
unreal. Yeah, he was good. And that, again, those first few years for you guys, and then in that period, he was awesome. But there was just a real golden run there, wasn't it? From watching him in that year, working with Benji and the Tigers before he moved on, there was a real five, six-year period there where Scott Prince is one of the best players to watch in the comp. Yeah. All right, that's your halves pairing, my halves pairing. The number seven, again, like I said before, there was a few positions that were real simple. Uh, it's Cooper Cronk, and, and this one, you know, 300-plus games before he left. The, the rep games, the grand finals, again, golden boots, Dahlia medals. From what he started at to what he finished at as a player and where he got to, I was absolutely filthy when he left, but uh, amazing career. Um, and all of it based off, again, what a lot of these have been, guys that have worked hard or bought in or weren't well-known, but just flourished in that system. And, and like I said, the starting product, if you go back and watch 06 to this guy with a shaved head who you know didn't have much of a kicking game bar a long kicking game and put up stock standard bombs or poking it in, he had two options basically, run or play short to what he finished up one of the best game managers and halves in the comp with this array of kicks and one of the better supporting halves as well. Like, he was just excellent. And what, the underrated cog, I guess, in the wheel over a long period of time there. But uh, the number six, and one of my favourite players of all time, to be honest, I reckon he was really underrated, Scott Hill. Yeah. Scott yeah. Hill. Um, you know, really sad too. He, he, he apparently had a real rough period after he left when they lost that grand final and then saw Melbourne win the year after and he ended up in the UK. And obviously, Melbourne was stacked at the time. But, yeah, I just think he was really underrated. He played rep football as a lock for Australia and New South Wales. He was a really, really, really good player. But his time there for Melbourne, he was one of those original stalwarts with your Matty Guys and your Robbie Kearns and Kearney, et cetera, and Lazarus. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people, again, would lean towards Munster, who's playing now. Widop obviously played a little bit there before he left, but probably wasn't the player that he was just at the time at Melbourne. Like, he had a good grand final year in 2012, but he was a lot better at the Dragons. You know, Blake Green, Matty Guyer again. I could have picked him centre wing 5-8. I haven't picked him for any of the poor bastards, but he was so good for the club. But, um, yeah, I think Scott Hill is one of these guys just in general. When you talk about all the time we looked at last week, when I think of Melbourne, that's one of the first names that comes into my head. Yeah, I'd argue. So, I'd argue with that. Alrighty. Uh, fan, fantastic player. Probably my favourite all-time store player, actually. Mm. I really liked him and Robbie Ross. And again, hard with what's followed now in Munster and Slater. We're very, very lucky. But yeah, Scott Hill was one I looked at the other day and just thought, man, fuck. I didn't forget about him, but what a good player. And halves, I looked at that. You talk about, again, like fullback. Robbie Ross was the only one I could really think of. We were lucky enough to have Brett Kamali first, who, like you said, for a time there was head-to-head or out-pointing Joey and playing starting half, wins a grand final and a, and a Clive Churchill medal for us. And then the guy after that, I absolutely loved him, was heartbroken when he left, was Matt Orford. Matt Orford was great yeah. during a period there where we used to get into the bottom. And it broke my heart that he went to Manly. It really did, because I loved Matt Orford. But and then he got Cronk. We, we didn't know what was to come. Cronk obviously didn't have the reputation, and he built... Over time, but yeah, we had two very handy halfbacks before we got Cooper. Mm. So, front row, who you got? Uh, Luke Bailey, Ryan James. Fair enough. Big Luke Bailey. The Bull. Club stalwart, yeah. Good player. player. Uh, Ryan James, he's been fantastic. He was, he came through in that period where the, the older fellas were going out and he came in and he was young and aggressive and a bit wild and he's had his injury concerns but um, whenever he's taken the field he's been super consistent for the Titans 
and you know was bloody close to playing Origin. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you there. So then, what have you got? Well, first and foremost, I don't think anyone's really going to be surprised. Uh, Jesse Bromwich is my first yep. front rower. Again, we talk about the modern day prop, what you're looking for, what you want to get. Uh, they don't come any better than Jesse. The perfect combination of size, speeds, the footwork, an offload. He's got a pass. And we talked about minutes for a while there and working out, you know, can he play 40, 45? You've got a guy here that can play 80 if you need him to. A bit like I said about Jared at times. I think it's underappreciated that when the Roosters have had injuries or have asked him to, like that game against Manly last year, like he's capable of so much. But for Melbourne in particular, there was a four-year period there, I think from 13 to 16, where in my opinion he was close to, if not he was the best front row in the game. Um, and in a club like Melbourne, that having so much success and you're playing with guys like Billy Cooper and Cameron Smith, if you're winning player of the year at the Storm, like that's a pretty big pretty big thing. That's not knocking other clubs' player of the year awards, but if you're knocking off those three in particular, you're doing something right. And I'm pretty sure from memory, for a three or four year period there, he was the player of the year for Melbourne every single season. Um, so he's my first front row. He's over 200 plus games. He's multiply time cap for New Zealand. He did have a stuff up off the field, which many thought would probably cost him New Zealand captaincy and Melbourne captaincy in the future. But um, as is their opinion of the man, and I guess the New Zealand setup as well, I'm pretty sure that I'm still hearing that at some point he's more than likely going to be the captain at Melbourne uh, when Smith moves on. And I think New Zealand haven't completely ruled it out, although there's a different coach there now, obviously, um, with Maguire. But, yeah, Je- Jesse's close to one of my all-time favourites in that group. But, yeah, modern day, like I said, want to win a game right now. Jesse Bromwich is the first Melbourne Storm prop I'd pick. Yeah. The second one, uh, this one's probably the only one kind of from that original group that I did pick, and he was only there for a short period of time, and it's also more of a personal love because I liked watching him, was Glenn Lazarus. Uh, he probably wasn't his absolute best uh, at the back end of his time there, but I think for everything that the Melbourne Storm is and has come to be, they sign him for a reason, and for those two years to come there, win his third competition at a third club uh, in the modern day, do I think he fits in? Maybe, like they said back in the day, he was mobile and big and played big minutes and did all these things. I don't know leg speed-wise and what he was like more so those early years, if he would. But um, his two years there and his leadership and all the things he did for the Melbourne Storm, I'd be very happy to have Lazo be the other front row. Yeah, that was the two I expected you to go with. Yeah, I, the only other one I kind of really gave consideration to and, again, was hard to leave out was Robbie Kearns. Robbie Kearns was a stalwart yeah. for so long, really good player, got there. Um, for a long period of time, was a captain of the club, still heavily involved in the club, played some rep football. We had some good guys along the way, again, that were recycled from other clubs who probably didn't have such a great rap, but after they left Melbourne, they did. Your Brett Whites, your Jeff Flamers, Antonio Cafusi for a short time. McLean was obviously injury-prone, but good. Like Brian Norrie did a good job for us. Early doors, you had uh, Russell Bowden and, and, and Rodney Howe, but um, I, I thought, yeah, Jesse was a lock, but it was between Lazo and Kearns, but yeah, I went with Kearns. Oh, sorry, I went with Lazarus. With Lazo, yeah. Splitting hairs. Yeah. Back row, who you got? Uh, hooker. Oh, Hooker, sorry. Who's your... Well, yours, yours is easy. Yeah. Who's, uh, your, who's your all time? Nathan Friend, ex-Stormer. Um, he's that? probably the only hooker we've... Yeah? Yeah, you, you, you're right. There wasn't really many other hookers, was there? No. 
you had, I think your first hooker was Clint Amos, wasn't it? He started, and then we we went Amos, Sharma, Peets, now Rain, and they've all been mediocre. Yeah, I can't really think of, I can't think of anyone really like, you know, Lawton come through the 20s and never turned into anything. Riley Brown, they got from the Roosters. He only played a handful of games. Like they tried a lot of guys over a long period of time, but no one was yeah, really. Prendy left because he wanted money as well. He, he went to the Warriors for the last two or three years of his career. Well, he was really good. Uh, you know, they had Falloon for a bit from South, but again, they never really found someone, did they? No, after Friend, we didn't. He's, they... he's been our best hooker by a country mile. They cycled through a lot. They had Mosley come up from Penrith and not pan out. They tried. Uh, what was his name? They had Elwin from their 20s. That didn't work. Yeah, we've gone, we've gone through plenty. Yeah. Well, my one. Smith. Yeah, well, in my opinion, besides like Billy Slater in his position, the greatest hooker of all time. 400-plus uh, games in counting, all the records you could possibly think of, uh, whether it be Australia, reps, origin, points, fucking God. The only thing he hasn't got still is a Clive Churchill medal. The only thing he doesn't have on his resume, but you're not going to hold that against him. Um, and again, you talk about a club that's been around for 20 plus years now. When I looked at the position and who else was there, there was basically only one hooker before him, which was Richard Swain. Yeah, you talk, yeah, you're talking about the life of the club. When you look at fullback, it was Robbie Ross. When I talked about halfback, we had Kamali and Orford, but then Cronk. And then you look at that. There's three key positions where we've basically only used two or three guys over a 20-plus year period. It's crazy. Yeah. It's yeah. unheard of. But, yeah, Cameron Smith, I don't even need to talk about Smith. Smith's just, there's no argument. Richard Swain was a good player in his day and his time there, but after the injury and Smith getting his opportunity and they moved him on, I don't think anyone's arguing with that decision now. At the time, uh, maybe a little bit, because Swain was a really, really, good, really, really good player from Melbourne, but I think now we look at it and there's no question that that was the right decision. Absolutely. Back rowers for the Titans team, Brock. Yeah, Anthony Frankie, easy one. Uh, played for Australia at the, at the Titans, uh, and was a was a regular in, in State of Origin. Just turned up, did his job. Uh, he'd be up there in my, you know, top five Titans of all time. Uh, and my second one's Greg Bird. Not surprised. Just tough, tough, really. Yeah, just. I could have gone Kevin Proctor, but Proctor hasn't played great footy on the Gold Coast. No. Like, back rows, back rows are one where we've really whiffed. You know, Proctor hasn't worked out. Dave Taylor didn't work out. Bryce Cartwright didn't work out. Um, you could go through, you know, Nate Miles didn't work out. There's a multitude there of back rows that we've had go in and out that, you know, didn't really pan out. Um, the one thing to say about Greg Bird is he puts a jersey on, he plays hard. Oh, 100%. And again, I wasn't his biggest fan, but in for New South Wales, he's one of the first ones you'd pick every year, without question. Yeah. There wasn't an argument about that, that's for sure. Yeah, so two Australian representatives, New South Wales representatives, um, and, you know, guys that played good footy, not only for the Titans, but at other clubs as well. Yeah. Wouldn't argue with that at all. Uh, Back row. For Melbourne is a, It's been a very loaded position For a long period of time And again A lot of people may not agree The first one to me Was the easiest one of all That was Ryan Hoffman uh, 265 games The tries he scored In big games Some of those grand finals He got over 
He played rep football. He was Mr. Consistent, Mr. Solid. He's everything you'd want in a back row, as I said when I picked him in our all-time teams as my wild card the other week. Runs inside, outside shoulder, tough defender, big body, mobile, good leg speed, and wasn't afraid to run that dirty line. But as a half, he's everything you're looking for in your back row. Um, and he, again, you don't realise when he debuted. I'm pretty sure he was there from 03 or 04 and only finished up like 18 months ago. Yeah, he had a few stints in between where they had to give him away to Wigan and he went to the Warriors and they brought him back. But uh, Ryan Hoffman was, for me, again, if you're saying I want to win a game tomorrow, on best form at his time at the club. Ryan Hoffman's the first back row I pick. And the second one is more the one that I think it'll divide some people because, again, they will look at, oh, this guy won a comp and this guy did this. But I think our current back row is the other best back row we've had in Felice Cafusi. Um, playing for New South Wales, playing for Queensland, He's a dynamic line runner. He's a guy that within 12 months, Craig Bellamy turned into someone that I didn't know what he was going to be into an international forward, one of the best back rowers in the competition. He's proved time and time again um, how good of a player he is. And I'll tell you what, like I've left out Stephen Kearney. You had Mick Crocker, who won 40 games from 44 attempts at Melbourne. Sikamanu, Kenny, I think, has been really underrated. We had Proctor at his best. But again, I think it showed when since he's left, he hasn't been as good. Blair played some back row and bit of middle and made Kidwell as well but the only one out of all those I really considered head to head was probably Kearney um, from his time early on but again like if you're saying modern day right now head to head if we had to play a game uh, it's probably it's it's very very close but I'll, I'll take Felice mm. yeah I can see the argument for Kearney Kearney but, um, yeah yeah no I respect it oh yeah I thought it, I thought you would go Kearney you put your foot on that fucking ball. Before you play with your foot, boy. <laughs> oh, we got we got some good out of him. And, again, like, we got good out of a lot of those guys. But, yeah, I think, again, the criteria that they picked their 20-year team and their 10-year team, I can completely understand. If you're going to go off captaincy, leadership, contribution to the club, all the things he's done, he, he's walk-up start, and he was in both those teams. But if you're going off my criteria, like, if I want to play right now, pick a team, win a game, I'd probably pick Felice. And I, I guess, yeah, on caps and stuff as well, they're not too dissimilar. You forget how many games some of these guys played. Like, uh, Kearney was 139 and he was captain. Uh, 20, 20 tries in there. 45 caps in New Zealand. He's obviously a stalwart for the Kiwis. But, yeah, Felice is almost already up to the same amount of games. He's played for Queensland. He's played for Australia. He's scored only a couple more tries. But um, in his own right, by the time his career finishes at the Melbourne Storm, I'm sure he's going to be probably a 200-plus gamer and play plenty more at football. Uh, your lock for your Titans team. Ash Harrison. He just played tough, whether it was for Queensland uh, or for the Titans, man. He, again, not a big guy, but hard as nails, blue collar, tough as they come. And he's probably one of those, one of the last locks that has a little bit of ball playing. He played a little bit of 5'8. Um, so I've got, um, I've got Ash Harrison. He played for Australia as well. Or did he or didn't he? I'm not sure whether he did. Ash Harrison. He played a lot of games for for Queensland. Uh, I think he might have only played for Queensland. I think he was one of those guys, again, that we look at and, you know, a bit like an Alan Tung who was at New South Wales and we always just say if he was a Queenslander, he'd be one of the first ones picked. But, yeah, I'm not sure if he ever played for Australia. I'm trying to... 
trying to get me confused. Oh, no, hang on. I don't think he did. Played Prime Minister's 13th. Yeah, no, I never did. So one game for Prime Minister's 13th. There you go. There you go. He's, he's a yeah, player that you can look at and go, played so well for Queensland for so long during that period. But uh, never played for Australia. Yeah. At, at a, a I guess because we kept picking... Greg Bird and Paul Gallant for Australia. He's another one of these guys that you forget how long his career was. He started with Brisbane all the way back in the year 2000. Yeah, one of company's first years. South Sydney, Roosters, he was there for a couple of years and then had a long stint to finish off at the Gold Coast. Yeah. Yeah, long career. I think he played for like almost 15 years. Yeah, he'd be in my top five all-time Titans. Tough as nails. All right. Locke, uh, again, a hell of a position. And again, most people... When you look at the team of the decade and the team of the 20 years, they picked, I'm pretty sure, Tuera Nikiau was in both, or at least on the bench in the second one. But I went with Dallas Johnson as my starting lock. Um, Tuera was there for a year or two. I absolutely loved him. He's one of the reasons I started supporting the club. He was an absolute menace. But you want to talk about blokes that punched above their weight. Dallas Johnson was a gun. And another one of these guys, you want to talk about rep football and would he have gotten the opportunity. If he was a New South Welshman, he never would have played a game. But for Queensland, he's one of those guys, again, that they acknowledge. And in Melbourne in particular, and the guys that are most appreciated by the club and the coach that you hear from people that are there, Craig Bellamy appreciates nobody more than glue guys or guys that just overachieve or do all the shit work for their team. So you're talking about your Dallas Johnsons, your Ryan Hoffmans. He loved Ryan Hinchcliffe when he was there, who just bought in and played all these different roles. Somebody like that now would be a Dale Finucane who just does all the little shit stuff. But, like, yeah, you, you can easily, again, be an original who gets angry and goes, how dare you not pick to wear it? But, fuck, Dallas Johnson, wow, he was a hell of a player for Melbourne Storm. Yeah, well, and Dallas Johnson lost his origin jersey to Ash Harrison. Yeah, he got 12 Harrison caps. And he did the yeah. one thing that Harrison couldn't do, though. He got one Australian jersey, Dallas Johnson, one. There you go. So he got that jersey, but we had... But, no, I, I just think they're, they're almost not identical players. Um Harrison. But yeah, very, very, very similar. Harrison probably had more... More skill, a bit bigger. And, uh, Johnson was a little bit dirtier, but, man, DJ was an absolute gun. Yeah, oh, I love Tawira. I think Hinchy was good, and his job there, like I said, was a real stalwart. Still there at the club. Day or now, I absolutely love. And we had Jeremy Smith, who was only there for a couple of seasons, play some back row, play a bit of lock, a bit of a mixture of positions. But, again, it's one of those ones where a lot of people would go, you can't pick anyone but Tawira, but I'm, I'm just... You can't discount what Dallas did. Yeah. Uh, I love to wear her as well, and I get they won a comp, but Dallas won a comp too. So that's yeah. an argument for a lot of people to go, how could you leave out a Kearney or these guys, they won a comp. Although I get that, but there's been we've been privileged to win a lot of comps, so I'm just going off my own opinion of what I'd pick right now. Um, yeah. yeah, Dallas Dallas is a guy that I'm, I'd love to defend next to. I'm one of those dudes, a bit like a guy I grew up playing with, uh, Khalifa, my mate, that you just look at and go, fucking how are you doing what you're doing? They just stick their face where you wouldn't even think. Um, he was inspirational for a long time. First player on your bench, Boxhead. I'm just going to give him my bench. Yep. I'm going to give him my four. Uh, hang on, let me get it up. Bernie Thompson, who was just unbelievable for probably a three-year period there. He just burst onto the scene and was aggressive. Um, and I, I really enjoyed watching him play. Luke Douglas who was just a stalwart, come from Cronulla, probably got a little bit long in the tooth at the end of his tenure at the Titans, but 
again, was just blue collar, tough, did his job. Uh, a current player, Jai Arrow, he uh, threw him on the bench. And the last one is Brad Myers, the big lumberjack. He uh, he was one of the founding titans, I think, and played, I think, right up until maybe 2011 or 2012. So I had a good sin at the club, always did his job, played tough. Uh, so that's my bench. Well, again, I'm probably going to hurt a few original Melbourne fans because they would probably think that some of these guys were going to make my bench, but I don't know. I have a real affinity for the group in particular who have come through in the past four or five years and what they've done and consistently overachieving, whether it be minor premierships or the 20-win season and four uh, losses, the the 2017 team, which I think is the best Melbourne team of all time. The first one on my bench is a current player, as are all four of them, but one not at the club anymore, Cameron Munster. If I was going to pick someone uh, as like a utility-type player, you know, he can play anywhere. He played fullback early doors. He plays five out now. You could play him as a lock. You could play him as a centre. There's not many things he couldn't do. He's an absolute pain in the ass. He's one of the most natural ball runners you're ever going to see. He's never on the ground. He just stands in tackles. Um, you know, he, he played that rep football. His first game for Queensland, he absolutely carved us to pieces. Again, moving forward, I think he's only going to get better and better. The next one, uh, one that hit me personally when he left, and I'm really sad he ended up where he ended up. I love him. Tohu Harris. I think if you're looking again at a modern-day forward and what you're looking for, I think they were devastated when they, they lost him as well. But a combination of size, speed, footwork. He played 5'8", for fuck's sake, when he was playing some of the 20s games. He put kicks in, passes. He's played there for New Zealand. He's one hell of a player, and I think he's just wasted where he is now. I'm sure he played 5'8 for New Zealand and they beat Australia. He did. He like he played, again, you forget how long some of these guys were there. It doesn't seem like that long, but he played almost as many games as Kearney and Kearns and all these games, but in his 117 games for Melbourne, uh, I thought he was fantastic. He, he's one of the, the main ones that we've lost, or one of the only ones we lost that I thought he'll succeed wherever he goes. Um, but I think now, if you're talking about what you're looking for in a modern back rower or a guy that you can play in multiple spots, he's one of those ideal guys. Uh, the next one, again, still playing, and it, it devastates me that I didn't pick, you know, a Kearns or a Kearney or whatever. But tell me, you wouldn't want Nelson Asafa Solomona playing in your football team? Yeah, done. Nelson, just over a hundred games, playing for New Zealand. He's barely scratched the surface, and if you're talking about intimidation, impact, damage, and what he can do to a game, like fucking hell, he's. Uh, He's a scary man, and he's only going to get better. And I'm sure, again, the numbers by the end of his career are going to be significant. And I go back to what I said before. My criteria is different to the 10-year and the 20-year team. And the last player I picked, another current player, and again, much like Dallas Johnson, someone I have a real affinity for and just respect the hell out of him, Dale Finucane. Yeah, Dale Finucane, since his time at Melbourne and even before he got there, I'm... I was baying that they were going to lose one of those players, whether it be Jackson or Finucane, and a lot of people, because I played against both, would say, wouldn't you prefer Jackson? I said, I'd prefer Dale. I really would prefer Dale. And when I found out that they got him, I was over the moon, and then I found out a story after that I didn't know that they'd actually been trying to get him for years. And I think he'd said to Craig Bellamy at 16 that the Bulldogs were the first ones to show you know, a bit of interest and give him that opportunity. So he paid that respect, but he said that if I ever go anywhere else or I ever going to do something... It'll be playing for you in the Melbourne Storm. And when that time came and we got the opportunity to get him there, sure enough, uh, Dale Finucane plays there, epitomises, again, everything that I think a Melbourne Storm player should be. 
Um, got a well-deserved rep jersey last year, and I'm sure he'll go very close to playing for Australia. Yeah. And just an overall fucking great human being. Can seem to. Yeah. And, again, I, I left out guys that legitimately hurt me because they're guys when I was growing up that I fell in love with and loved the club. Matt Guy did so much for us and was our all-time leading player for such a long period of time. Stephen Kearney, Tawira Nikiau, Marcus Bly I loved, and Robbie Kearns, like I said, there's a couple of guys there. You're like, fuck, how do you leave them out? But like I said, you, you go through in particular the forwards that Melbourne produced or got that were recycled from elsewhere or they bought in the early days. Man, they had some good forwards. Oh, yeah. This modern pack, if you ask me, like all time, you go, oh, you know, all time, but fuck. These modern forwards, and in particular that 2017 team, if you're going to compare any year of Melbourne, I don't think anything comes close to our 2017 team. Um, in particular, the forwards from there and the guys that are playing right now, we, we've got we've got internationals and origin players everywhere, and we've had that for a long period of time, but the current forward pack and the guys that have been through the last five or six years, um, you know, your Felices, Jesse, Tohu, like I said, who I was devastated, Nelson, Dale... There's, there's been some fuck, there's been some great forwards at the club. Oh yeah. 18th man, if I was going to have one, out of all those guys, I'd probably go Matty Guy purely off just all the positions he played, what he did, and he was still hanging around when that new crop came through when we turned into what we turned into. Um, you know, it was a different role, but he just did whatever he was asked to do. He played on the wing, he played at hooker, he played five eight in the grand final, he played off the bench at the fucking end. Like he just. He was there forever. He, he was just part of the furniture. And you could say the same for Kearns and a lot of guys, but uh, they, they've been lucky. They've had some not only really good players, but they've had some great people play for the club. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very multicultural club too, Storm. And again, coach, uh, easy pick. We haven't had many, but it's obviously Craig Bellamy, and I don't need to explain why. Yeah, with Neil Henry. Yep. Um, he only had a short, short tenure, but I think he was our best coach. I think the whole Jared Hayne experiment has spiralled our club out of control since then. Neil Henry didn't want Jared Hayne, and in the end, that was his downfall. Uh, he got a he got a side to the finals that was average at best. Scott Prince left. Aiden Caesar partnered up with uh, Tyrone Roberts and you know a lot of people picked us to win the spoon that year and um, they made the finals uh, yeah. got beat first week but... I, I was so angry I remember the podcast at the time I was furious They everything that was good that was happening yeah. there they ruined the moment they got yeah. Hayne in they ruined everything that Henry had brought to you know a group that probably shouldn't have played finals in all honesty um no, they shouldn't have. That, that, that's my point. I and think, you know, the sides that John Carr, and no disrespect to John Carr, right? The sides that he got to the finals were sides which included internationals and, yeah. you know, current or former state of origin players. Like, we had a pretty strong roster. Uh, my, my whole reasoning for having Neil Henry as the, the coach is because I think he did more with less. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. No, not at all. <laughs> So there we go. All right. Well, we're going to go through them one more time. So my all-time Storm team at fullback, Billy Slater. On the wings, Josh Adokar, Suliasi Vunavali. The centres, Greg Inglis and Matt King. The halves, Scott Hill, Cooper Cronk. The front row, Jesse Bromwich and Glenn Lazarus. Cameron Smith is the hooker. Ryan Hoffman and Felice Kafusi are the back row. And the lock, 
is Dallas Johnson, and off the bench, Cameron Munster, Tohu Harris, Nelson Osofa Solomona, and Dale Finucan, coached by Craig Bellamy. Yeah, the Titans, who will get a 24-and-a-half start against that Melbourne <laughs> Uh Preston Campbell at fullback, Kevin Gordon and David Mead on the wings, Matt Rogers and Brian Kelly in the centres, Caesar and Prince in the halves, Luke Bailey and Ryan James in the front row, Nathan Friend at nine, LaFranchi, Bird and Ash Harrison locks the scrum, the bench of Bowden Thompson, Luke Douglas, Dry Arrow and Brad Myers, coached by Neil Henry. And again, uh, I may have left out a few guys that people would be absolutely stunned about. But like I said, the depth of talent is so that 15 of those players are internationals for either New Zealand or Australia. Suley's obviously been one for Fiji, but I'm sure in his few years of best form that if he was eligible for New Zealand or Australia, he would have played in one of those sides. And the only other one who isn't an international yet, in my opinion, is Dale Finucane. So I've left out some pretty fucking hefty players that have played, but, um, yeah, if you're going to pick the best okay. side... It's, it's your team. That's right. It's my team. And if I was going to play a game right now and you, you compare best form, uh, yeah, to me, some of those modern players would have an inch on some of those guys 15 years or so ago that retired. And it's just the evolution of football. I just think there's better athletes and better all-around talented skill players today. That's not a knock-on former, but we, we're, we're very lucky in particular with some of the forwards we have right now. It's a hefty four. Yeah, great. Well, there you go, Brock. That wraps us up. We've gone through what we can. Wraps again, up, um, I think, again, we've tipped up a lot of people. Before you get frustrated or get angry or, you know, like we're just dealing with the information we've got at hand, the same as everybody else. I think probably the, the main thing, and you sent this to me yesterday, like, there's a lot of half-truths at the moment. There's a lot of stuff we don't know. One journalist writes this, someone writes that. It's going to be in conferences. It's not in conferences. We're coming back this day. Health minister says this. Another minister, like, fuck. We're just, we're working with the information we've got on hand. We're not always right. No one's always right. Um, but we're working with the information we've got on hand at the time to try and produce some content and talk about some rugby league. Correct. So, fingers crossed, like I said, more so at the end of the day, that all this negativity and bullshit passes. We get through this. We get back on the field. And then moving forward... Uh, there's a lot more positivity surrounding our game, the broadcasters, the journalists, and everyone involved. <laughs> yeah, I think we're, we're about to hit the curve. We're about to bend our own curve in rugby league. I think uh, give it a week or two, and you know the season will be closer to resuming, and the focus will hopefully get back onto the field because the players will be back training and staff will be back working, and we'll be talking about you know, what the game's going to look like, especially once the schedule's released and they tell us how they're going to go about it. Uh, and then the focus will shift onto the field, which is where it needs to be. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Last one before we go, a big thank you as always goes to the Penrith Solar Centre sticking through us during this difficult time and everybody else out there, again, I'll bring it up. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I still need to post some links. So I apologise about that. But again, being an essential worker... Things have still been crazy, but if you are a small business, if you need a plug, if you need any help, uh, as some have done, inboxes. I'm more than happy uh, to put a post up or give your business a plug. Um, but, yeah, Penrith Solar Centre. What defence have you got in place against the nasty situation of rising power bills? PSC is Western Sydney's leading solar specialist, and whilst you have little control over your team's outcome, the expert team at PSC is devoted to giving you control of your bills back. 
Let the sun work for you, your home, and your back pocket. Save thousands per year in energy costs. Contact Penrose Solar today on 1800 20 to discuss how they can make you the real winners or www.penrosolar.com.au. Uh, it's, as we've said from the start, it's hit a lot of people. It's hit our old man. It's hit a lot of friends, small businesses. It's, it's a hard time. Not a good time for anyone. Uh, small, large, medium business doesn't matter. They're all struggling at the moment. So the sooner we all uh, follow the rules and smash this virus like we currently are, the the quicker these businesses get back on their feet. Yep, I think everyone's seen uh, a couple of the posts we put up. We've had some stuff for our old man, the old Penrith party hire. So once things kick off, if you're looking for a, a party, and I know we will be, I'm doing a a freedom party for my 30th rather than a 30th because I'm sure we're all just going to be fucking happy and excited to be able to get let loose again and see some people. Uh, if you're in our kind of neck of the woods in the Sydney region or the Blue Mountains or anywhere, Penrith Party High, get on board. Yep, absolutely. It's the way to do it. Anything else, Box? No, that's it. That's it for another week. There you go. Just a plug. Jack Kearney, he's another bloke who inboxed me. He's got a, a Facebook page. They do some improv and some comedy. A lot of their shows have been wiped out due to the coronavirus. Or if you're looking for a laugh, they've got a page called The Forecast, so you can look that up in your search bar there. Um, you know, They took the piss, some market updates and some betting on the weather and some other bits and pace, uh, pieces. It was actually pretty funny. So just a shout-out there if you're looking for a laugh, The Forecast up in uh, the old top bar there. And as I said before, Daniel Brett, I've got a post up, a few bits for him. He was talking about helping businesses online with their Google marketing and all their solutions in this difficult time, mate. I haven't forgotten about you. I'll post that link up there. If you are a small business and you are looking for some help, they've got massive discounts at the moment. They're going to try and help out where they can if you're looking for some help with your online presence and your Google ads and some marketing. So um, if you're out there, again, small businesses, you need a plug, send it through. We're more than happy to try and help in this difficult time. Yeah. Boxhead, thanks again. And as we say every week, everybody, keep doing the right thing. Stay safe. Uh, look out for one another. And if you can, help each other out. Absolutely. Have a good week. That's it. You take care, mate. Fingers crossed, like you said, things keep going the way they are. And eventually, I can actually come back over. We can do what we always do, have some pasta, watch 360, and uh, have a laugh. Absolutely. All right, everybody, stay safe, enjoy your week, and uh, I guess enjoy podcasts and reruns of Rugby League. Bring it on, give us more, give us more. Where are you going? Where, what, 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 what's going on here? Is that it? Is that it? <laughs>